This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. This is a conversation where we save the best and burn the rest of our culture and our faith practices. And today we have a guest with us. And I, I really like um, this guest. <laughs> and I mean, if you saw the title, you probably already know who it is. Mm. But we have uh, Ben Reynolds back. And that's really cool because he came and jumped on our podcast way back in the early days, back at episode nine. Man, it feels like such a long time ago, but it was literally like only seven seven months ago or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's. A, oh, I love that episode so much. When people ask me what my favorite episodes are, I actually often reference that one. I just... I, ben has just got such amazing insights on things. Uh, so what we're actually hoping to do is have him as a kind of reoccurring guest mm. um, just because he always seems to have... Every time I talk to him, he's just got some fresh insight on something new. Yeah, like literally we got off the, the, the conversation today. Like we talked... I mean, there's some guests who you kind of like... When you're meeting them for the first time, it's always kind of awkward. So you kind of make small talk. But honestly, whenever we talk to Ben we're always just launching into such meaningful stuff. Like we got off the call and we were talking to him for like five, 10 minutes afterwards and we already have like ideas for another three episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like crazy. It's, that's, that's, how, that's how like, you know, in tune the guy is. Um, so yeah, super excited for this episode. This episode really is for anybody who has ever had doubts or they have felt like their concerns or fears or doubts about their faith have not been heard or been repressed or been squashed um, so everybody pretty much pretty much i don't know about you guys but growing up in church i was always told that my doubts were kind of a bad thing that i shouldn't be doubting anything when it comes to god when it comes to the bible when it comes to creation or the old testament or the things that kind of people classically bring up as problems or issues with the bible and so we really really delve into that today and it was a fantastic uh, conversation. We learned about all sorts of stuff. I won't spoil anything. I won't spoil anything, but that is what we talk about today. Um, anything you want to add to that, Josh? I don't know. It's uh, pretty good. Two plus two is four. That is true. It's something I added. Uh, <laughs> do you have faith in that or do you know that to be certain? Are you certain that two plus two, two is four? Okay. Do you know what's something weird, right? You. Humans came up with okay. numbers. Well, okay. Yep. So the only reason the word four means four is because we said four means four. <laughs> so the only reason two plus two equals four is because we've said so and no other so basis. It's because two equals, you know, there's more there's two ones together. Like it's it's a really weird So you're saying truth is relative then? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Am I saying that? Sure. Why not? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a good it's a good thought though. It's a good thought. What if what if four wasn't four. What if we decided we're going to replace the number four with the number Flibugida? Yeah. And we could replace two with um, Flibidugdug. So Flibidugdug plus Flibidugdug is Flibugida. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. I feel so smart. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> changing the universe one <laughs> so, number at a time. So from now on, you guys, uh, two is not two. You're not allowed to say two anymore. You can only say, what is it? Flubadugdug? Flubadugdug. Flubadugdug. So next week when we reach uh, episode 42, we can be like, welcome back to episode 40 Flubadugdug. <laughs> I'm probably not going to remember that when we, get, when we do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, let's get out of the way. And we'll just let you guys enjoy this amazing interview we had with Ben Reynolds. Okay, well, today on the podcast, we are absolutely honored to have the luscious, the ludicrous, the literary genius, Ben Reynolds. Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be with you guys. I can't say I've ever been described in those terms before. <laughs> luscious, 
and ludicrous. Referring to. And ludicrous. <laughs> I was I, I I thought L, and then I was like just stuck because I had to think of things that rhymed with L. So um, I mean, let, just take them, man. I think they're yeah. they're definitely compliments. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take them as such. Uh, awesome. Well, hey, man, it's great to have you back on. Uh, for those of our podcast listeners who are kind of new joining us, you may not know Ben, um, but he actually came onto the podcast uh, many moons ago. Episode nine. Episode nine. Yeah, he was in our first ten episodes. Yeah. Um, so we talked uh, way back then. I say way back then. It was like April. <laughs> yeah, recorded recorded in a in a hotel room in Auckland. Yeah, the three of us together. Oh, that was that was that was fun days. That, that was, was that was early days. We didn't know what we were doing, and we still don't. So <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> um, so hey Ben, for our podcast listeners. Um, would you just be able to quickly give a uh, you know little rundown on, on who you are, where you find yourself, um, what you get up to, and uh, for those of us who who do sort of uh, know who you are, uh, a little bit of an update on what's going on in the life of uh, Ben Reynolds. Mm, yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so I uh, was born and raised here in Auckland, and have the privilege of uh, pastoring here as well, out east in the eastern suburbs of um, kind of Pakaranga, Howick. Uh, Highland Park, Flatbush, that area of Auckland, and uh, look after the East Auckland City Church, uh, where I spend most of my time and then uh, spend a day and a half each week at uh, a primary school in uh, in the centre of Auckland. Um, so get to do chaplaincy, get to hang out with adults, and then also chaplaincy, hanging out with kids. So it's, it's quite, quite a nice uh, mix. Uh, keeps life interesting, keeps it busy, and uh, just have a ball doing it. So um, yeah, it's uh, been a, a real blessing to have done that for just coming up five years now um, since I came back from college where I met you guys in Australia. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so no, God is um, yeah, God is is doing good things out here and um, just learning as much as I can and just moving forward together with with the leaders uh, that we have in our local church, just seeing how we can. Yeah, expand God's kingdom in this part of the harvest. Hmm. Yeah, wow. Um, and as well, uh, I should add, Ben was quite the scholar. I remember we we started together, um, and I was just in one of Ben's classes at the time. But man, I was just even in our first year, I was amazed at the kind of questions Ben Ben had, and um, so an avid scholar. And uh, we had the video going before this, and an avid reader. Mm. He has a huge library of books behind him. <laughs> uh, so are you still reading a lot, Ben? Any good books lately? Uh, always lots of good books. Um, I, I haven't been reading as much lately just with, with different church responsibilities I've had. And um, oh, you asked for an update on what's happening in uh, my life as well. I've got my, um, my wife and I are expecting our first child uh, in, in just two or three weeks now. Um, amazing. Kind of around mid-December. So we're excited about that and uh, so my... Uh, my reading has not been as uh, <laughs> frequent as as it normally is in the past because I've been occupied with with other uh, very important things. Um, mm, fair enough. No, that's yeah, but um, but no, al- always lots of good material. Uh, there's a book I'm I'm trying to finish at the moment uh, called The Body Keeps the Score um, by Bessel van der Kolk, and uh, a fascinating book. Um, this guy was kind of at the cutting edge of um, looking at PTSD, uh, so. Um, just uh, trauma from soldiers that were returning from Vietnam and uh, just looking at the way that that trauma kind of impacted them, uh, not just emotionally, mentally, but also physically. Uh, so, yeah, great book. I, I reckon every pastor should read it. Um, wow. it just and it really opens your mind into the way that you can just minister more effectively uh, to people that have had trauma uh, in its, its different um, forms. Wow. Yeah, so so it's definitely one checking out. The body keeps the score um, by Bessel van der Kolk. Cool. We'll, cool. we'll link that in the uh, in the show notes if people want to get that on Amazon or something. Yeah, yeah. Any others while we're on it? I remember last time you recommended some good books, and I went on. <laughs> like, um, I think you re- you recommended the the autobiography of the guy who founded Nike. Oh yeah, yeah, Phil Knight. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely worth checking that one out. Yeah, put that on your summer reading list. Mm. Uh, another one that was really good, uh, which has kind of helped to shape some of my thinking for uh, my local church ministry going into next year, is uh, a book called Hero Maker, uh, and that's by uh, Dave Ferguson. Mm. 
and Warren Bird. So Dave Ferguson is the president of Exponential, um, which some, some of our listeners may have heard. It's part of a, a church planting network uh, that's based in the U.S. And uh, I had the privilege of attending one of their regional conferences uh, in Washington, D.C. back in September. Wow. And the, the whole theme of the conference was based on this book, Hero Makers. So it's a really cool take on discipleship. Uh, and leadership. So are, are you trying to be the hero all the time, or are you actually empowering somebody else uh, to be a hero? Uh, so so just looking at how we disciple people in leadership, um, yeah, and then, then how we, we kind of translate that into sending people out. So the book raises really great questions like, uh, you know, is, is it about your kingdom or is it about God's kingdom? Uh, are you measuring things by your seating capacity or your sending capacity? Wow. Uh, so, 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 really moving away from this kind of uh, like you know big mega church model where we're trying to grow massive churches, and it's actually more about spreading the presence of God's kingdom um, in in whatever way, shape, or form that looks in, in local communities. So, yeah, re- really great book as well. I highly recommend that. Yeah, you are the third person to recommend that book to me. I think it's a sign. <laughs> Yeah, it must be. Yeah, okay. That's my next one. I'm going to read it. How how do you select books to read, Ben? Because I think we've had this conversation a little bit before, but I just remember you had a really fascinating sort of filter for how you actually filter which books you do read and you don't read because as a an avid reader, I'm sure that you just wish that you could read every good book that's recommended to you, but there's only so much time in the day. How do you actually filter what books to read and which books to pass on? Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah. As you say, there are so many books to read. Uh, I, I'm on Goodreads uh, if anyone's interested. So yeah, I've got a wish list of I don't know how many books at the moment. But in terms of a filter, it's kind of more along the lines of what grabs my attention uh, at the time. So I'm, I'm very eclectic. I can be reading business books, and the next minute I'm reading you know pastoral care books or leadership books or um, history. It, it just depends on what's happening at the time. Uh, th- this year, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke um, with a local church, and so obviously there's been a lot of reading around Luke's Gospel um, in the bits and uh, pieces of, of time that I have, and they often are just bits and pieces. Uh, but yeah, so it's really just what, what takes my fancy at the time. Uh, and even though I have a, a long list of books on a wish list to read, uh, usually I will end up reading a book that's not even on there. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Just because something else has come along and grabbed my attention or I've I've seen a a special deal on a book or a latest release that's just come out. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's never enough time in the day. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. Yeah. We do what we can. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. So look, Today we're here. We have a, a specific thing that we want to talk about. Um, as um, Ben and I and, and and Josh were talking before the break about um, something which I think really hits close to home for millennials and Gen uh, Gen Zs, Gen Zs, um, when it comes to the way that we navigate our faith practices, and it's the actual idea of faith itself. It's interesting in the way that faith is kind of got like a double meaning it, it's kind of the act of um believing in something as or as so we've been told but it's also kind of how we refer to our um actual spiritual practice our spiritual beliefs our religious structures but um one of the things that uh you've been noticing ben and um just take this as a springboard to sort of start wherever you want i guess is the way that we navigate what faith is and how we interact with it um, has been changing and in some cases is a bit problematic. So wherever you'd like to start with this is is fine is fine with us. But um, what do you see? Sort of unpack that for us around faith. Yeah, uh, I think it's a it, it's an important subject. Uh, and b- because it's um, underlined by so many different assumptions, uh, w- when we hear the word faith, we all assume that we know what it means. Uh, but when we stop and think about it, uh, actually we don't. It's, it's kind of this abstract nebulous thing that, that has taken on so many different meanings. I, I guess the word church would be another one. 
Uh, if you ask a person what is church, uh, you would get all kinds of different answers. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, and faith is, is at the center of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's important that we do stop and just think through carefully uh, what faith is, how it's expressed, how we define it, uh, and also our paradigm for faith. What, what kind of model of faith uh, actually, are we actually living by? Because that model will determine to a large extent uh, yeah, the, the way that we uh, interact with others, uh, the way that we read the Bible, and also the way that we view God uh, and, and understand his character. Mm. So uh, maybe a good place to start would be by telling a story. Um, stories are always good. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you and, and some of the listeners might be able to relate to this, but um, several years ago, I think I was about 10 years old, uh, we heard about a, a family friend who'd been diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer. Um, he, he lived uh, up north, and I think he was about the same age as my dad. He was very involved with uh, outreach and church and loved God, and everybody admired him as, as a man of faith. Uh, and the news of his illness, you know, everyone was just so devastated when they heard about it. And so people had prayer meetings and, um, you know, Bible texts and promises were shared around about God rewards those who, who have faith in him. And, you know, we've got to push all of our doubts aside and, and just believe that God is going to heal this guy. Uh, and, yeah, the, the man himself uh, who was unwell got to the point where he was totally convinced that God was going to heal him. Uh, and he shared this with everybody who was praying for him. Um, you know, to strengthen their beliefs. And I remember even as a kid, uh, I I struggled with that because I remember thinking, you know, there's a good chance that this guy could still die. Uh, And yet what would that say about my faith? Uh, What would that say about everybody else's faith? You know, did we not have enough faith? Um, You know, how could could we be certain? Um, How could I be certain, as these other people were, that he would be healed? Uh, and so I think right there, and, and maybe you've experienced similar things uh, in prayer meetings, um, you know, if, if you're praying for a situation or you're praying for healing for a person, uh, and it reveals this assumption that uh, most people have, and that is your faith is as strong as you are certain. Mm. Mm. Your faith is as strong as you are certain. So the more certain you are that you're right, uh, um, the, the stronger your faith is, uh, but the more you doubt, then the weaker your faith is. And so if faith is what saves us, then doubt uh, must be what, you know, um, damns us, so yeah. to speak. So, so, so doubt is seen as the opposite of faith. Um, it's the antithesis of faith. And, and this is the model that, that most people have. Um, but, but the certainty-seeking approach to faith is, has quite, quite a few um, significant issues with it because if if your faith is as strong as you are certain, then how certain do you need to be in order for something to happen? Uh, you know, like, does God have a minimum requirement uh, for salvation? You know, does he require 50% certainty or 75% certainty uh, or, or for somebody to be healed, for instance, as well? So you can start seeing that there are quite significant issues when we have this approach to faith, this kind of earnest you know, psychological, you know, um, certainty that we've got to have. And, and we, we look at people like that. We say, man, that person has so much faith because mm. they're just certain, mm. you know, this or that's going to happen. Um, yeah. I've, I mean, there's so many of us have been in this situation ourselves. I, I remember sitting in a church service where we were praying over this exact same thing. You know, a guy had cancer. They just found out he'd just been married and we were praying for um, his healing and um, well, he hasn't been healed yet. He's still got it, and he's going yeah. downhill. But I just remember sitting in that service as as one of the pastors there, thinking, "Do do I actually have like the 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 faith and and the certainty was mixing with the uncertainty?" And mm. and I was like, "Are we praying for the right thing?" But I don't know. And if if I doubt, is my doubt gonna screw this guy's chance of God healing him? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you kind of think a it's struggle. You kind of think it's yeah. your fault sometimes. I remember having that thought when I was a kid. Like, yeah. I'm doubting. So, is this my fault? Am I bringing down? Am I like kind of bringing down the quota here? And now we're not going to make it or something because I'm doubting. And now mm. this, it's, it's a really weird dynamic. But, but it, it almost it's almost like a magic trick. 
yeah. you know you got to say the right words or you got to believe the right thing and if you do it it's like it's a transaction if i do the right thing if i say the right thing if i believe the right thing i'll get the result that i want it's almost like we're like coercing god into doing what we want him to do i don't know is it like that i don't know yeah, yeah. And for me, that's, that kind of reveals one of the biggest problems with this certainty-seeking approach to faith is, is that it assumes this really unchristlike picture of God. Uh, because if, if you believe, as Hebrews 1.3 says, that you know, Jesus is the ultimate and full revelation of God, then you know, that doesn't line up with what we see in the Gospels. Mm. You know? um, is, is God really looking down on us and you know, saying, you know, I'm not going to heal this guy until you can convince yourselves that, you know, he's going to be healed. Um, but if you can't, then he'll die. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll heal you, but, you know, not until you do this trick. You know, you, you do the psychological trick of convincing yourself that it's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, when we look through the Gospels, you know, when Jesus would heal people, um, you know, the, the man who was born blind um, is in Mark 8, uh, you know, where Jesus... Uh, uh, Put, put the mud on his eyes and, you know, Jesus asked him, can you see? And then the man said, well, I can kind of see, you know, there's people that are kind of walking around like trees. Um, but, but Jesus didn't rebuke him and say, why did you only have 50% faith? You know, mm-hmm. your, your eyes would have been completely healed if you had 100% certainty <laughs> in what I was doing. But, but Jesus doesn't do that, you know. Um, he places his hands on him a second time and then his eyes are completely um, open. So... And, and then that, you know, kind of ties in with the idea of salvation. You know, how, how could God leverage everything, uh, including our eternal destiny, on how certain we can make ourselves mm. about something? Mm. Um, I, I know that this is a big problem, especially within our faith tradition, um, mm. because you have this subsect of Adventism, which is all about perfectionism. How does this relate to that sort of mentality, that that sort of movement within Adventists that says, you know, to get right with God, we actually have to get to this stage where we're perfect, we have no sin. How does how does faith intersect with that sort of movement? Yeah, uh, I think the one of the big issues there is uh, that it becomes almost like this neo-Gnosticism uh, so, in other words, um, it becomes salvation by having correct theology, salvation by having correct belief, uh, because of, if what I believe is the truth, then by default everybody else is wrong. Uh, and so it, it can become a substitute, I think, as well, uh, for having a living, genuine relationship with Jesus, because as long as you just believe the right stuff, 28 fundamentals, whatever it is yeah. that you want to believe in your tradition— um, then, then that's that's a real uh, deception because you know Jesus comes in the judgment. I think it's Matthew seven, and uh, you know the people come and they say we did all of this good stuff. You know we tried to be perfect, uh, and then Jesus says, "I'm sorry, I don't know you." Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, which is the, the saddest words in the Bible. Um, yeah, so I, I think it, yeah it can become a substitute. Uh, for having a genuine living relationship with God, which is really what faith is, because faith is not, uh, you know, what goes on between your ears. It's not some psychological thing. It's it's a covenantal thing um, where we're standing at the altar and we're saying, "I do," um, because tr- faith faith is 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 placing your trust in somebody um, in the face of uncertainty. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that really helps answer your question. Um, I'm trying to be somewhat diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that's that's fine. No. But I mean, I'll be honest. This is this has messed me up. This has messed a lot of people up. Um, mm. Growing up in the church, you know, as a teenager, I, I would often get frustrated with how things were, and I would I would be tempted to just toss it all in and go to some other church or or whatever. Mm. But one yeah. of the things that always held me back was, well, if I toss in Adventism, well, am I tossing out uh, the Sabbath? Am I tossing out um, the state of the dead? Am I tossing out health message? All that sort of stuff. And then I got to a certain point where I believed that those things, that my salvation was contingent on mm. on having those things. And yeah. so I ended up staying 
in part a lot of the time because of fear. And I don't think, I don't believe that anymore, but looking back, I can recognize that actually one of the big things that kept me in the Adventist church growing up as a teenager was fear that I would lose my salvation if I left. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that's a fear a lot of people carry. Uh, yeah, which also um, means that people are too afraid to question. They're too afraid to challenge um, their beliefs. You know, they, they, as we said earlier, doubt is seen as this enemy. Uh, and so you've got to push all of that aside. Uh, and, and another way of looking at it is, is kind of like a house of cards. You know, if, if you build a house of cards, it's, you know, quite a tricky thing to do because everything is carefully balanced on, you know, each layer of cards as you move up this, the, you know, the stack, the triangle. Um, and, and I think if, if we have a certainty seeking approach to faith, then that's, that's how weak our faith really is. Mm. Uh, because as soon as one uh, card is, is bumped or challenged or shaken, then the whole thing is at risk of collapsing. And I think that that's one of the dangers that we have in this model of faith that so many of us have, have carried and um, that we promote. Mm. So, you know, if you if, if you have genuine doubts, you know, let's say you're a student at uni, um, you've been brought up in a church that believes in the creation story, you know, as a historical event, etc. But, but then you're studying at university and, you know, you're being uh, bombarded with all kinds of uh, other narratives and other ideas about the creation of the world um, and then, then you're put in this awkward position of you know which one do I believe is true mm. and then in that moment you feel like your whole faith is being threatened mm. like the house of cards and so if the creation card is bumped then if I can't trust that or if I'm having genuine questions about that then you know is the whole thing going to come crumbling down mm. well, so, uh, so it kind of becomes like stifling to your like into intellectual searching, you know, like your search for truth becomes sort of stifled by this mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're not going to have any questions uh, if you don't have any doubts. You're just going to accept it, you know. And this is the the kind of language we hear in some of our churches. If if people start asking hard questions, you know, the response is just believe. You know, yeah. uh, you don't have to understand it. You know, just believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but. It's like, well, you know, God has given us an inquiring mind. You know, the Bible is full of people questioning. Um, and most of the, well, not most of the time, but a lot of the times answers aren't even given. You know, they, they question. And the one they're questioning a lot of the time is God himself. You know, Job is questioning, God, why are you doing this? You know, Abraham questions, you know, God, you know, why are you doing this? How can you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, if there are righteous people there? And, and on and on. And it's actually those... Um, that have the greatest faith in the Bible, that ask these hard questions of God, wow. um, that, that have these doubts. Uh, you know, Jeremiah um, challenges God as well in, on, on numerous occasions. Um, but they can do so because they're in a relationship with God already. So they're saying, God, we know what you're like. We know that you're love. And so we, we can't understand why this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's but, 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 you know, when you're doing it within that covenantal relationship with God, um, you, you can ask those hard questions. You're not going to lose your faith. You're not going to give up your whole relationship because of it. Mm. So it, it gives you room to, to have those doubts, to have those questions. Um, you mentioned, um, you've mentioned two words so far that I'm really interested in. Um, the first is trust and the second is like that covenantal, that idea of covenant relationship. I think in some senses, what we're really talking about here is is not just how do we interpret the word faith, but how do we actually interpret our whole religious structure within this structure? Because I think in some ways, how we interpret this concept really changes the way that we uh, interpret our entire faith structure, our entire religious structure, and thereby, I guess, our whole worldview. So what... You mentioned trust and, and, and this covenantal thing. What, what do you mean by those in terms of how they relate to the, the foundation for our faith? Yeah, good question. And that's really what it boils down to. Um, faith is not something that goes on between your ears. 
Um, we, I think we've kind of conflated, we've, we've merged together the idea of belief and faith together, and we see them as synonyms, um, but, but they're actually slightly different. And I think a, a good way of capturing what faith is in its biblical, covenantal, relational sense is the word trust. Um, so you, f- faith is, is trusting God in the face of uncertainty. Um, it, it's, it's stepping out in faith. It's acting on a belief that you have about God. So maybe a, a helpful way of putting it is um, talking about marriage. So, with, you know, uh, with, with my wife, Jess, and I, um, there were certain things that I had to believe about her first uh, before we chose to get married. Uh, but when we got married, I didn't marry my beliefs about her. Mm. Right? Mm. Uh, I married her. I'm in a relationship with her, uh, not not my beliefs about her. Uh, so the beliefs are important, and the beliefs help help bring you to that point of decision. Um, but you're not actually demonstrating faith until you uh, say "I do" at the altar, because you don't know what the future is going to hold for you. But you're saying, "I'm I'm going to commit myself uh, to this person in a covenant relationship, uh, in the in the face of uncertainty." Um, so that, that's, I don't know if that's a helpful way of thinking about it, but for, for me, that kind of, yeah, get, gets close to this biblical um, paradigm for faith, this biblical model of faith, mm. uh, where it's a covenant that we enter into with God. So I've, I've um, when I've shared this with uh, my church members, I've asked them, um, you know, when, when you go through the Bible, whenever you see the word faith, replace it with the word trust and, and see how that just changes the way that you understand what faith is, um, because faith is a relationship with someone, uh, not something. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I have t- I have two follow up questions. Josh might have some questions as well. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm hogging, but I, uh-huh. as we're talking, like so many questions come into mind. The first question is around this 21st century paradigm versus this first century paradigm, because. You know, obviously, when we interpret the Bible, we have to figure out not just what it meant back then, but what it means today, um, exegesis, hermeneutics, that sort of thing. When I think of a first century context, I think of the early church, one of the things that they got accused of the most was of being atheists because they didn't believe in the cult of the emperor worship and all that sort of thing. They didn't believe in the local gods. They believed in the one true God and Jesus, the Son of God, being God incarnate. When it came to a first century Jew or Greek, they started with religion. They started with the gods. They started with a pantheon. So for them, I suppose, and if you want to add some more nuance to this, um, feel free, they started with a presupposition that the gods exist. Of course the gods exist. Why would we believe otherwise? Um, Whereas today, that is no longer the presupposition that we have to arrive at. Most people that we engage with, um, I think it, at, at this point in Australia and New Zealand, it's hovering around um, 60 to 70% nons or atheists or agnostic, like that sort of whole jumble together, like the church church attendance and church belief and, and Christianity is, is, is on a low. How do we start with somebody who doesn't, believe that there is a God and then ask them to trust in a God that they may not even necessarily believe exists. Does that make sense? Is that too mm. broad? I don't know. Mm. No, no, that that's a key question. Hey, um, so that, that kind of ties in with, well, with, with my own personal wrestling over the years with coming to an understanding of how we can have a, a biblical unshakable faith. And it, it, it's got to start with Jesus everything has got to start with Jesus. Um, he is the center of our faith, or he needs to be the center of our faith. Uh, not the Bible, you see, because people can argue about the Bible. Uh, they can argue whether it's you know, trustworthy or whether there are contradictions or whatever, but uh, the reality is um, it, it's, it's got to start with Jesus because I think we mentioned this earlier. In Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the fullest and final and complete revelation of God. So if we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus um, because people come along and say, oh, you know, I don't believe in God. But if you ask them, you know, out of curiosity, you know, well, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. And they'll proceed to describe, you know, this kind of impotent Santa Claus God who's disconnected somewhere way off in space. 
uh, or a very angry, vengeful, um, judgmental God, you know, who's just going to zap people if they step out of line. Mm. But the reality is that's not the God we believe in. You know, I would be an atheist if those were the two options. Uh, So we we believe in the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ. Uh, And this is one of the things I think that sets Christianity apart from every other religion is that we have a God with skin on. Mm. We have a God we can relate to. Uh, We we know what this God looks like, um, you know, as a living, breathing human Mm. being. Uh, which is just amazing, blows my mind um, whenever I, I think about it. Can I just jump in really yeah. quick? Because just from a, a historical perspective, you know, for a, a time there in the 20th century, there was a lot of doubt as to whether Jesus was even a real historical person. But it's my yeah. understanding that that position has pretty much changed in the entire um, historical community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was I was coming to that point Sorry. as well. So I'm, I'm yeah, no, no, I'm I'm describing from from a biblical perspective. So yeah. so the Bible tells us you know Jesus is the complete revelation of God's character. Um, but then you you can also um, you know approach Jesus and and his existence without even needing to use the Bible um, because like you say, there was a time when you had these you know most of them were Germans and others uh, who who would you know say well Jesus doesn't exist you know he's he's just some made up person. And there's been this whole quest, what they call the quest for the historical Jesus, which has gone through several different variations um, over the last 150 years. But, um, yeah, only real strange and um, (laughs) weird people don't believe Jesus exists uh, today because, I mean, even atheistic historians say, you know, there's – there's abundant evidence that Jesus existed. Uh, they, they may doubt some of the things he's uh, recorded as saying in the Bible, um, but there's no doubting that he did exist. Um, he was a real historical person. Um, and we could do a whole podcast on this um, mm. separately. But, but yeah, so, so when you look at that and then you reason out, you think about, okay, well, how did Christianity begin and how did it uh how did it uh, grow and take the shape that it did? Uh, because, uh, you know, after the crucifixion, you have the disciples scared to death, uh, fearing for their life in the upper room. And then in a very short period of time, you have them out on the day of Pentecost, you know, preaching their hearts out. So what happened in between? Uh, and so if you're going to look at it from a purely historical perspective, something dramatic and supernatural had to have happened to explain that huge shift. Um, uh, yeah, between how they were when Jesus was crucified and um, what happened later. And so I think, and there have been a lot of detailed studies on this, but probably the best one is by uh, N.T. Wright called The Resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, he looks at this from a historical perspective. He says that that really is the only, well, it, it's, it's a very plausible and rational historical explanation for what happened. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and there are other philosophical reasons and, and things as well. Uh, but but Jesus has got to be at the center of our faith um, because people can kind of look at that. You know, if somebody's kind of interested uh, in the faith or in Christianity, you yeah, you can point to uh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, and I think um, something I've noticed in a lot of conversations with um, friends who are agnostic or um, atheist or, you know, even, even other faiths. Um, I found a lot like 95%, 95% of the problems people have with Christianity is not anything to do with Jesus. It's to mm. do with mm. interpretations of the Old Testament, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's to do with a lot of sometimes questionable applications of things in the Old Testament. Um, very, very little of people's problem with Christianity ever comes down to Jesus. Most of it comes down to a lot of the stuff prior. And I think, I don't know, how how do you think we we sort of dance with that as people who, um, I mean, we believe in the whole Bible, obviously. Mm. And I I, I suppose if, I think it's, I think I 100% agree in setting our foundation um, in Christ. Um, So what what do you think that looks like, I guess? um, How do we dance with what's in the Old Testament? And I know I'm using dance and that's a bit of a dodgy Adventist (laughs) word. (laughs) But yeah. I like it. Me too. Uh, But yeah, what do you think it looks like in our our reading and understanding of the Old Testament and, you know, a lot of those stories? Yeah. 
there's um, there's a great book that that can answer it better than either could. Uh, <laughs> that your readers might be interested in. There's the scholarly version. There's the popular version. Um, the popular version is called Cross Vision um, by Greg Boyd, um, and and he's he's wrestled with this uh, for a long time. In fact, on the subject of faith that we're chatting about, um, he wrote a great book uh, called The Benefit of the Doubt, um, as well, which um, has has been just yeah, great. I mean, he, he articulated my thoughts better than I could have ever thought them. Um, but I really resonated with, with what he wrote in that book. But, but yeah, he's also written about this, this aspect of, you know, how do we reconcile some of the stuff that we find in the Bible with, yeah, with, with Jesus and how do we hold all of that together? Um, so yeah, again, starting with Jesus being the, the foundation of our faith. Um, yeah, everything needs to be interpreted through, uh, the lens of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. Um, so w- when it comes to, you know, other tricky parts of the Bible, um, we've, yeah, we, we've got to start with, with Jesus and then we've got to work out from there. Um, yeah, and, and there are no easy answers. Uh, it, it's something that you, you have to wrestle with. Um, but, yeah, I think you've, you've got to put one before the other. Uh, and too often, I think people start with the Bible and then they get confused about what's in the Bible and then they throw the Bible away and Jesus away. Mm. Uh, whereas if you start with Jesus first and you say, okay, I believe that God is fully and uh, ultimately revealed in him. Okay. And then how do we work out from that? So how do we reconcile that? Um, because if you know that God is love and then you come across these challenging passages, okay, so how do we interpret that? You know, is, is this God somehow getting his hands dirty and, and reaching in and, and working with broken human beings where they're at, uh, to, to try and lead them on a journey of redemption and restoration. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, as I say, there, there are no easy answers, but uh, again, if, if we're thinking about faith and a, a, a paradigm of faith, you know, ha- having Jesus at the center and, and then the Bible is important because the Bible tells the story of Jesus. Mm. I, I love what you said about, um, yeah, starting with Jesus, because it just strikes me that the biggest explosion of faith in the first century was, you know, just mere uh, weeks and months after Jesus' ascension. And at that stage, the disciples didn't have Tabiblia. They didn't have a Bible. They, no. They, no. All they had was the Hebrew texts. And yeah. even then, it's not like they were pouring over the Hebrew texts every day as part of their daily devotional. Um, mm. they, all they had was, you know, uh, a, a rabbi, a teacher, who had said a lot of things that they didn't really understand and then had died and then apparently had also risen again. And it just strikes me that, you know, even in the early church, it wasn't until I believe that uh, 20 or 30 years that Paul would have written first Corinthians, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a, a, a decade or two um, mm. before those early texts were even penned, let alone the gospels. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that just reveals, um, historically that yes the, the bible is important and and i hope your listeners you know won't misunderstand where we're going with this um the, the bible is important but it derives its importance and its value and its authority because it tells us the story of jesus uh, it, it, again if i was to use marriage as an example you know when, when i married my wife jess i married into her family history so for me to understand her i needed to understand that history um, because it's a part of who she is um, you know and so when when I go and stay with her family with her parents for instance um, yeah it, it helps her make a whole lot more sense and so in a similar way you know we well we marry Jesus uh, but we also are marrying into his story which is the story of scripture and because Jesus believed that you know the Bible is inspired you know I believe it's inspired as well um, because um, yeah if if, if um, what am I saying here? Let me just collect my thoughts. Um, you can edit that part out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if here's another way of looking at it. If, if we believe in Jesus um, only because we believe in the Bible, then that makes the Bible the fundamental thing and not Jesus. Um, and, and if we approach things that way, then Christianity becomes a religion that's based on a book rather than a relationship that's centered on a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the way Islam works. You know, they are the people of the Quran. Um, 
but at the center of our faith is not a book, even though we like to say we are a people of the book. Yeah, that can be a bit misleading uh, yeah. because the center of our faith is actually a person, um, Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so by accepting him, we are accepting the inspired story about him in the Bible. Um, and so that doesn't mean the Bible is any less important. It means that the Bible is even more important. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that makes sense, but... Um, yeah, I, I yeah. think um, I, I think I've even kind of looked at it like um, <laughs> I think a lot of the words of the Bible, I mean, they're incredible and inspiring, but I, I don't think they, um, a lot of the time they're not, I don't know how to word this, word this right, but it's almost like they're not particularly holy unless they actually become applied in your life. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, but uh, like they can just be words on a page, but it's not until the story of Jesus and and his teachings actually become a part of your life, and the relationship actually has changing effects on you. That's when it really starts to be inspired and holy, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, coming back to the distinction between uh, belief and faith, uh, for instance. I mean, James, I think it's James three, says that you know even the demons believe. Mm. Uh, it trembles. So the, the demons have probably got better theology than us, uh, the truth <laughs> be told. You know, um, wow. they understand these things far better than us, but it doesn't do them any good because they don't live by faith because they're not in a trusting relationship with God. And uh, I think we alluded to this earlier, but that that's what happens to us today. You know, our beliefs, what goes on in our minds uh, can become a substitute for a saving relationship with Jesus because that's hard work. You know, right. that, that's, that's where we, we're living in this, you know, messy world of sin and, and we're trying to navigate that and, uh, and to live in a faithful, loving relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. 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 And, um, and I think we, we have, we have this, this challenge, yeah, coming through that, that faith has become this intellectual thing. Uh, and, you know, we can discuss theology and whatever, but it has no impact on the way that we live. And there have been numerous um, surveys, I think, by the Barna Group uh, in the U.S., and their results are probably reflective of many Western countries that uh, when they compared the way that Christians and non-Christians would use their time and their money and their resources, there was no difference hmm. for, the, for the most part, which tells us that there's a serious problem, and, hmm. and that is that you can hold certain beliefs in your head but they don't actually translate into the way that you live. Um, and, and that's that's what you were saying, I think, Josh. Yeah, un until the words of Scripture become holy and real uh, in our lives, then, yeah, they're just words on the page. It strikes me that, you know, as we read, you know, John 1, you know, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us, and now the fullness of that, of that, that, that Word, that Logos, now lives, lives within us. It strikes me that you know, the call, the the the, the cry of of the Christian faith of the Jesus way is is for embodiment, um, for actually, as we've already discussed, taking um, the words and making them making them flesh in a way mm -hmm. as we make the word, the divine logos, flesh um, and, and substance within our without within our beings. What would you say to somebody who goes, that sounds like a great concept, but I don't know even where to start. How do I even have an embodied faith? Mm. I think you get to know somebody. Um, you get to know Jesus uh, through his word, um, through interaction at church. But... You, you've, got, you've got to take that step of faith, as we say, which is really just trusting somebody in the face of uncertainty. Um, yeah, and, and so doing that um, and, and, and going on the journey, you know, ju just as you would if you were getting to know a new friend. Uh, how do you get to know about them? Well, you want to read about them. Uh, you send letters, you communicate, that kind of thing. So we do that through prayer, we do that through reading scripture. Uh, and and you go from there um, each day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's there's, there's nothing kind of fancy about it. I I, I don't know if there's any other way <laughs> doing it. You you'll have to enlighten me if there is. Uh, yeah. So it, it it does require risk, you know. You because 
yeah, I mean, if, if you're getting to know somebody um, in the early days, you know, there, there's yeah a lot to learn, um, and and if it's it's a matter of salvation, um, you know, as it is with Jesus, then yeah, it's just a matter of saying, all right, I'm I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to place my trust completely. I'm going to stake my life on this. I I may not be completely hundred percent certain about it, but that's not what God's asking. He's just asking me to trust Him, and so that's what I'm going to do as best as I can, even if my faith's only the size of a mustard seed. Mm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think as well, um, to add to that, um, I, I think even there, there's a time when like in that risk, I think you have to sort of push, push assumptions away a lot. Um, I think a lot of people have this picture of God, but there's a lot that they haven't ex- ever had a chance to challenge and, and ask questions of. So then those assumptions affect their other parts of their picture of God. I don't know if mm. this makes sense, but mm-hmm. again, to, you've been using marriage examples and it's made me think of one too. So I thought I'll join the party. But um, Yeah, go like, for it. <laughs> being married to Danelle, there's a lot of times, um, and I'm sure both of you guys are like this as well, we're in a situation and because I spend so much time with her, I can probably predict what she's going to say. Or mm-hmm. predict what she's going to do. I mean, a great example of this was um, we, were gonna, we were playing Mario Kart recently and I got it all set up and was waiting for her to come. And then, um, so I wrote down on my phone, all right, here's the one of the, here's, I got a list of three characters that I reckon she'll pick to, to play. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> just because I'm like, I know her this well, I'm sure she'll pick this person, if not that one, if not that one. Lo and behold, she came and she didn't pick any of them. She picked a whole <laughs> other one and I was shocked. But I was just like, oh, like I thought those were exactly what I told her. And she's just like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, And I think it's, it was kind of refreshing for me to let my assumptions go and just let her do what she was going to do, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So I think it's sometimes the same with God that we can't just make these huge assumptions of God, but actually sometimes we have to just sit down and actually ask, hang on, what? Is this true? Is this actually how God is? Like I've just held this assumption, but should I re-examine it? Should I look back at the basics? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. If if you're in a relationship with somebody, uh, yeah, sometimes they do unpredictable things, <laughs> uh, and I think that's where we have to have some humility as well, because that, that's where you can run into all kinds of problems with with the Bible, for instance, or even today. You know, we, we have these very, uh, and, and I would say it's quite an arrogant attitude where people will say, oh, well, God wouldn't do something like that, yeah. you know? And it's like, well, how would you know? Yeah, <laughs> what you it really God? means is I wouldn't do that, so God must not want to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the whole making God in our image kind of thing. Uh, so we, we have to let God be God, and, and we, have to, we have to trust that. And a, a great Bible story that, that really brings us to the fore, I think, is um, the story we find of um, the, the three Hebrews in Daniel 3, uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. And you know, the King Nebuchadnezzar was there. He'd set up this you know, idol, stunning idol, completely you know, full gold, and you know, when the music played, they were told that you need to bow down and, and worship this and pay homage to it. Uh, and the guy said no. And Nebuchadnezzar thought they misheard him. And so he gave them the instructions again and gave them another chance. But they said, no, no, we don't. We heard you the first time. We, we don't need you to tell us. And then he said, well, you know what the consequences are, right? You're going to be thrown into the, the fire. And they said, you know, they said if, if we're thrown into the furnace, we, the, the God we serve, he's able to deliver us. Uh, and, and he can deliver us uh, from, from you and your threats. But then they say something interesting. They say, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, um, we want you to know that we're not going to worship you or your gods or, or this idol that you've set up. Uh, and, and I just love that. Because it's like, you know, they, they were in this relationship with God. They knew God could deliver them. They said that. But they said, even if he doesn't, <laughs> we're still going to trust him. We're still going to love him anyway, even if it means we go to our death. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I love that story. I mean, that's quite an extreme story. But that that's what it is, you know. Real living faith is, yeah, that's how it's how it's demonstrated. It's not, it's not about, like, coercing God, like, no, God, I need you to do this, and if you don't do this, oh well, I'm just going to fall apart and yeah. you know, drop everything. Yeah. What um, what role? I know we've touched on this a number of times, but what role does doubt have to play in all of this? 
Is it yeah. an integral part? Do we have to run away with it? With it? What What is it? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you've asked that. Uh, we we briefly touched on it earlier, but but doubt is crucial uh, because doubt reveals um, an inquiring mind. You know, and again, we've got to get away from this idea that doubt is a bad, nasty, sinful thing that you know we need to get rid of. Um, when you're in a relationship, you know there is room for this to happen, and I, it takes me back to the story of Jacob. Uh, Jacob, when when he was wrestling with God. Um, just before they're about to cross the river uh, and he was going to meet his brother. And, and he's wrestling there with, with yeah, what, what the Bible tells us is, is God in, in some form. And he's wrestling there. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the sun is starting to rise and so, you know, touches his hip and then he gives him a new name. And um, he says, you know, you are no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. And Israel means the one who wrestles with God or the one who strives with God and prevails. And and that's that's really who God's people have been uh, from that time on. They're the ones that wrestle with God, that strive with God. Um, and, and Jacob says at, at the end of that, he says, you know, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to stop wrestling with you until you bless me. And, and so the, I think there's a, a blessing uh, when we wrestle with God about things. And yeah, as we mentioned earlier, that some of the greatest um, men and women of faith in the Bible were the ones that had the greatest questions for God. Uh, so, so there's room room for doubt. I, th- I think we we have to ask um, the honest questions again if we're struggling with the, the violence um, in the Old Testament. Okay, we can say, well, God, I, I know that you are love. I know that you know you've revealed in Jesus Christ, you died for the sins of the world. Uh, but then we also have these other passages. And so, you know, let, let's wrestle with this. God invites us to come and reason with him. Uh, yeah, so, so there has to be room for questions. And I don't think we allow enough of that um, in our churches um, and, and certainly in our faith tradition anyway, because, again, doubt is seen as this dangerous thing. You know, if anyone raises a question, you know, or God forbid the pastor raises a provocative question, then, you know, um, you know this is dangerous. Um, but you know there, there needs to be room for that. But again, it's doing it when you're in the context of a relationship um, with with God. Then there's room for for these other things. Um, yeah. So if if you're having questions about the creation story, or you're having questions, I don't know about who the hundred and forty four thousand are. Um, you know, you you're still, still doing that. Yeah, still. Yeah, most of us are. Um, you, you, you're doing it in in that relationship. So, you know, if if you come to a different conclusion or you see things differently or you are having genuine doubts or wrestling with something, it's okay because your faith is not a house of cards anymore. Now it's actually centered in a relationship with a person, and you can ask them. You know, Jesus is a living, breathing person who's in a relationship with us. Um, you know, you can pray about it. God God will lead you on that journey. Uh, so we, we need to be okay with questions. We need to leave room for doubt. Um, yeah, and, and not, not encourage doubt. That's probably the wrong way of putting it. But, but encourage questions. You know, encourage an open, inquiring mind. And this is what I believe it means when the Bible says that we're to love God with all of our hearts as well as our minds. Yeah. I think yeah. it's um, just to add to that as well. I remember um, the story of Steve Jobs. He was actually raised a Christian. Um, okay. But then he, there was this kind of story where he went up and asked his pastor, like, does God know what I'm going to do before I do it? Or does God know what I'm going to say before I say it? And then the pastor's like, yeah, of course. Um, but then, he asked, okay, and then he pulled out this like, I think it was a National Geographic magazine with these like starving children dying in Africa on it. And he's mm. like, so if God knows, then why isn't he doing anything about this? Yeah. And the pastor yeah. just was like, oh, no, um, you'll understand one day. Mm. <laughs> like basically don't ask, you know, you're asking too hard of questions. And yeah. at the age of 12 or 13, Steve left church and never came back. Mm. And I'm like, man, if... I just feel like I love what you're saying because it's actually saying, you know, we, we should be able to ask questions and we should be able to wrestle with it. And we should allow that for other people, especially our young people in church, um, yeah. allowing them to ask questions and wrestle and mm-hmm. us just saying, well, like, I just think like 
how different would it have been if the pastor was like, wow, that's a really great question. Um, you know, let's get the youth pastor together or let's get one of the, the leaders together or, or your parents and we'll just sit around and let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Like, let's work through it. But instead he just was like, no, just put a stop to it there. And then Steve Jobs, one of the greatest minds, <laughs> mm-hmm. left our church. Imagine if he could have been doing all that innovation and stuff within the context of church. It would have been incredible. Um, yeah, who knows? Could have been the next Apostle Paul, hey? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I love what you're saying and I, I think... Um, that's a really great place to uh, to sort of land the plane. Um, but before we finish, did you have any last last thoughts you wanted to just add on there, Ben? Mm. Oh, I th- think we've covered a lot of ground, and and hopefully some of it's been valuable um, to to your listeners. But yeah, I guess just to reiterate again the fact that you know Jesus really has to be the foundation and center of our faith. And so if we, we're going to think of how we're going to move forward from here. Um, Jesus has got to be the center. And then out of Jesus, you know, we have the Bible, you know, Scripture, the story of Jesus. The the Bible has value and authority because it tells us um, the story of Jesus. And then out of the Bible grow, you know, the certain core teachings um, that that Christianity holds in common that we also have, um, you know, articulated our fundamental beliefs. And, And then beyond that, there's so much room for theological opinions and diversity and, and all of that. Uh, so instead of, you know, being the certainty seeking faith that I've got to be a hundred percent certain on this, this, and this, um, changing it saying, okay, well, I'm in a relationship with Jesus and I'm on a journey with him. Um, when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he didn't sit them down and correct all of their theology off the bat. You know, he didn't have a theological checklist mm. that he went through with them when he called them. He just said, follow me. Uh, and then as they journeyed with him, all of their messed up theology kind of got straightened out <laughs> along the way. And, and so I, th- I think we've got to, yeah, just view it as a journey uh, and a relationship, a covenantal relationship with God. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that that's helpful. And it's certainly been helpful for me because I've, I've struggled. I've had to go through periods of doubt personally, uh, wrestling with my own faith and um yeah, so so this is the place where I'm at now, and who knows, in in a, a few more years it may change, but 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 this is where I'm at now, and yeah, what I believe that the Bible gives us in, in terms of our approach to to faith. Wow, that's so cool. I love that. Um, thanks so much for sharing that, Ben. Um, that's helped me. I love I love talking about it because I think it's one of those things that can sort of go unnoticed if you don't think about it and address it and ask questions um so yeah this has been really helpful for me and i'm sure jesse as well Mm, absolutely i know a lot of our listeners will love this um before we were recording you also mentioned your um you guys record all your sermons and everything and your teachings and i thought maybe some people would be interested in hearing um you know when you because you've taught on this subject kind of more extensively at your church and and things so where can they where can they find that yeah, we, I'm not sure if these ones are on the website, but yeah, we, we went through a series together uh, called Unshakable Faith last year where I was trying to hammer out some of this stuff um, Yeah, and just kind of share it um, in a way that I hoped make, made sense to our people. But yeah, th- this year we've uh, been traveling through the Gospel of Luke. So yeah, you can find it at our church website. So it's, uh, the website is E-A-C-S-D-A dot co dot nz so it's just the acronym for east auckland city seventh day adventist um yeah so e-a-c-s-d-a dot co dot nz and uh yeah you'll be able to find our luke series on there awesome and um, if people want to get in contact with you um how can they do that what's easy uh facebook or yeah through the uh, church website um however they want to yeah awesome well hey this has been really really good thank you so much ben It's a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me back. Well, there we go. That was awesome. Uh, We hope you guys really got something amazing out of that. I know I did. I really enjoyed that conversation and it sort of helped me process. Um, And again, I think I already said this, but it's this is sort of one of those things that you can have and it can sort of go unchecked. It's a belief that a lot of people have, but they've never questioned it. And I think, uh, hoping that this was a really good space for you guys to question that whole faith and certainty wrestle. 
absolutely. Like, it's the thing under the thing under the thing, which kind of affects everything in a way. And if we don't, like, get it out into the open and talk about it, then I think we can live our lives just assuming that everybody knows what we mean when we mean faith and we everybody knows what we mean when we talk about doubt and all those other concepts. But really, I mean, the thing that I find most challenging and I also find most liberating is this idea of our foundation, what's the foundation for our faith? You know, really, if you're a Christian, what's the foundation for your faith? And I grew up thinking that the foundation for my faith was the Bible. Like the Bible is the foundation. It's the thing that we stand upon. We are standing on God's word, that we are the people of the book. And the Bible is the be all and end all. And, oh yeah, the Bible is also important because Jesus is in it. (laughs) Like that was like an afterthought. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, like, I think that just messes us up. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a cool paradigm shift to switching to like Jesus as the center. And it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. Um, and having him be the center and foundation of our faith, the, the actual cornerstone. Yeah. Um, Fancy that. Fancy that yeah. the actual, what the Bible says is the cornerstone of our faith should be the cornerstone of our faith. Wow, what a revelation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, hey, uh, let us know your thoughts. We love it when people ask questions. That's literally what this whole episode was about. Um, yeah. And thank you so much to everybody who's left reviews. You are just so great and we love you. And uh, if you guys want to follow along, um, you can yeah, follow us on, on social. We're on Facebook and Instagram. And um, yeah, we, we share some things around each of the episodes, sometimes that aren't in the episodes and there's some cool discussion on there. So we just love it if you guys join and engage with us in what you thought of each episode. Cool. That's it for us, you guys. We'll talk to you again next week. We hope that you are having a fabulous December. We're looking forward to the next two weeks where we're going to be all about Christmas. So that's going to be super exciting. Christmas time! That is Josh and Jesse out!